Tuesday morning blitz NFL week 15 is not finished it is still very much going on but we've decided to take this time out of our Tuesday afternoon we're recording at 12 30 pacific time where I am 3 30 eastern time and Kale and I are going to do our best to break down this very chaotic week that was across the COVID riddled NFL Kale you staying safe out there buddy I hope hope you are I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Staying safe. Uh, got the booster planned Monday after Christmas. Pumped for that. Woohoo. Uh, yeah. The NFL's doing, uh, NFL's, I mean, the NHL just shut down till uh, after Christmas. So we'll see how things go. Yeah. It is not like our t- job. <laughs> I like Tuesday football, though. I will say. Yeah. No, this is, I mean, y- you know, this is what they wanted. They're not upset about the fact that they're pushing these games to Tuesday. They'll go to Wednesday if they have to. They love the fact that they've got Saturdays back in play now. Roger Goodell's ultimate domination scheme is really coming into place. So, granted, we don't want it to be because of COVID, but this is what we're living with in the year 2021. And, hey, we've got two football games kicking off in a couple hours that we're getting ready to watch. So, without further ado, why don't we – talk about some of the football games that already happened this week. And why don't we start with the result that I know made you the happiest, which is Mr. Dan Campbell getting his second win in a matter of just three weeks in dominating fashion. Am I right? It was, it was genuinely impressive watching this game. And and it's, it is really the tale of the story of two teams at two very different points of their season. If you look at the way the Arizona's played, uh, they, They've dealt with a lot this year, uh, and they are now currently without their top defensive acquisition of the offseason, J.J. Watt, uh, their top offensive skill position player, and DeAndre Hopkins. And for this game, they were out there, the cornerstone of their offensive line they acquired in the offseason, Rodney Hudson. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals have lost, coming into this game, had gone 500 after starting 7-0. Uh, they just come off the heels of a pretty demoralizing loss to the LA Rams on national television, now playing a short week going to Detroit. And this Detroit team is absolutely just playing reckless abandon at this point. Dan Campbell has this team inspired. Uh, they've now won two of their last three. This team looks motivated. This team is firing on all cylinders. They were getting after Kyler Murray pretty consistently, despite just mostly rushing four, but their blitz, their blitz looked, looked awesome. Uh, Jared Goff, I mean, hats off to Jared Goff. It's by far statistically the best game he's played. Uh, anyway, slice it. EPA per play. It's the best offensive passing DVOA performance by a Lions team since week nine of 2017. So, like, their best passing affair in four years, basically. Uh, just, re- like, really gutsy performance. By far his best end in a uh, Detroit Lions uniform. Uh the Cardinals did this weird thing where they basically just sat all the way back, uh, really, really allowed the Lions to have a cushion, didn't want them taking any sort of deep shot plays and would just let them kind of dink and dunk. And I guess their thought was Detroit would make their own mistakes. And Jared Goff took every opportunity he could to you know capitalize on what they gave him. He ended up 16 of 19 of passes, less than 10 yards. He finished the day. 
23 of 26 overall passing, just the the touchdown pass to Amon Ross and Brown, beautifully designed, just sending two outside guys out. Amon Ross and Brown coming underneath the, the, the leak route and hitting Jared Goff, hitting him in stride. A beautiful connection to Josh Reynolds, too. Great play design on that fourth down as well. Uh, the little motion motion into a wheel route to Amon Ross and Brown to pick up a fourth and one with ease. Uh, having the little trips bunch to the right side to block for him on the screen. Just, I mean, Detroit came to play and Arizona was back on its heels all game. Kyler Murray looked a little disoriented by just the amount of pressure that Detroit was able to bring him. Uh, it's his lowest completion percentage game. Uh, and I think it's also his, his worst passing performance of the season. This is now a Cardinals team that has lost the one seed is a Game ahead will hold the tiebreaker no matter what, I believe, tonight, uh, no matter if uh, the Rams win or not. But now go up against Colts at Dallas, Seattle. The two of those, the Colts and Colts are the eighth best team by defensive DVOA, and the Cowboys are the third best team by defensive DVOA, also boasting the top rated passing defense. And this team looks a little lost without DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know if it's just me. But it's, it's going to be tough sledding from here on out. And Adam Schefter reported that because of the torn MCL, Hopkins will maybe be back by the NFC Championship or Super Bowl if the Cardinals make it that far and that it's unrealistic to assume he'd be back any earlier. I just think they're, the wind is being taken out of their sails big time. And I don't Snatch. like the, the rest of the receiving core isn't bad when you look at Kirk and Green is maybe your one and two and Zach Hurts the tight end position, but it just felt like this team was playing with momentum for most of the year. Uh, they get to 10 and two, they go on the bye week. We've talked at length about how bye weeks are so helpful for teams this year because everyone else just seems to get knocked down a peg. But ever since they've come back from that bye week, it's been disaster, disaster after disaster. And the road only gets tougher. I, the Lions, they only had 3.7 yards per rush on Arizona, but they just kept running it. And it's not as if Arizona was able to pry the ball away from them quickly. The lions had 32 minutes of possession in this game. The only time they did actually literally pry the ball away from them with the Byron Murphy fumble recovery. Uh, the over interception happened two plays later. And if you watch that over is basically just sitting behind the target that Kyler Murray's going for. And I don't know if Kyler Murray doesn't see him or I don't know if he just doesn't assume that because he's a full yard behind his target that he's not going to be able to get around on him. But two plays later, a, a forced turnover at midfield becomes a goal line stand all of a sudden at the six-yard line. Like, it, everything that the Cardinals were able to do good, Detroit nullified almost immediately. Well, I was going to say, if you watch that play, which I know you have several times, you heard the loudest Gus Johnson explosion of, oh, the Warrior that you could possibly imagine. So that was like, of all the things to come from this game, for us, it was Gus Johnson's a maniac. We love Dan Campbell. His post-game speech was great. And one of us really liked the uniforms for no apparent reason. So we'll talk about that in about 40 minutes or so, but to get back to the point, I guess just with what I was discussing about the Lions run game, if they're going to be eating up time of possession like that, can you imagine what Jonathan Taylor is going to do to this team in a matter of five days? Like I just, it's all heading in the wrong direction right now. Do we trust Kyler and Cliff 
once the clock turns to December, uh, I think they've got as much to prove as anybody in the league the rest of the way. And I'm not sure they're up to the task. I mean, if you, if I'm just going to play devil's advocate here too, like if we're talking that Arizona couldn't be prepared without having DeAndre Hopkins, this is Detroit's game. Uh, first game without uh, TJ Hawkinson uh, and who is now out for the year. And this is the highest point total that the Detroit Lions have put up all year outside of their week one uh, comeback slash uh, garbage time pad on against the 49ers. So, I mean, if, if Dan Campbell and Detroit are doing it, what's Cliff Kingsbury's excuse? No, Dan Campbell is just a master of adjustments. We've talked about it. He's, He's a whiz, Kale. I think we've got to start drawing up the 10-year extension for the guy. Like John Gruden money and then some. That's what Dan Campbell's earning himself with this 2-11-1 Detroit Lions team. What did he say, Kale? He said, welcome to Detroit. That's what this was for Arizona. Welcome to Dan Campbell's Detroit. I'm, I'm so excited for a semi-competent team to be there. Like, yeah. like just, just skill position players, like a decent – offensive line a, a, a sound defense anything that this dan campbell's a leader of men absolutely i don't, I don't want to now it's now it's going the other way that we're giving him respect to the point where it sounds like we're making him a meme in the opposite way that he was made a meme of before but no i mean this in earnest he's a leader of men and i'm really excited to see if he can just get really sound if he can get like the motivational levels out of these players i'm excited to see what he can do with the coordinators he's brought in and of a much better roster if they can keep building a roster the way they have like you know and and the players just love him it's so clear and we're gonna get into later in the show how many bad coaches there have been in the league this year and, and how it's so flabbergasting but you see the team rally around him in these post-game videos in the locker room after they get their first and second win of the season. You really start to think, like, it, it just means so much to, to tell that your players stuck with you through all the hard times. And I think that kind of ties into the next game we want to talk about a little bit, which is the, uh, the Chargers-Chiefs game. And I want to talk about the Chiefs and how, how back we feel like they are, but one of the biggest stories that come from this game was the fourth down play calling and decision-making from Brandon Staley and the chargers essentially passing up on nine points on fourth downs uh, to try and go for it. Uh, and you see in the post game, his players were all behind him too. Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert, they all said they want the game put in their hands like that. And it didn't work out for him in this particular case. But what I see from that is a team that's bought in, behind their rookie head coach and a team that I think still has the potential to do some damage this year. And one of the reasons for that is it feels like a a tightly knit unit compared to a lot of these like kind of middling teams that are all dysfunctional this year. Now I, I'm a big believer in going forward on fourth down. Uh, You know, we've talked about it. I've written a lengthy piece about it. Uh, Just the influx of fourth down decision-making, uh, or like the inc- just the general increase in uh, fourth down attempts and fourth down aggressiveness throughout this season. Uh, that being said, uh, there is some potentially situational uh, interpretations of fourth downs that we can maybe 
we could maybe like take our foot off the gas a little bit is what i'm saying just a little bit like uh there, there was a big quote floating around this week about how nick saban uh nick saban has said that analytics are a tool and that you have to judge uh every team situationally and that you know even if the analytics say go for it, if your team isn't capable of stopping uh, the other team, you know, why go for it and put yourself in that decision, take the points. The Chiefs orchestrated an 11 play 95 yard touchdown to open the game. Uh, they had another 75 yard touch. They had two 75 yard touchdown drives in the second half. And this is a high scoring game that finished with, you know, a massive total, like points total. Uh, I, I 34 plus 28 in my head is not math I can do right now. Uh, I am a big 62. dumb baby boy. Thank you. I'm a big dumb baby boy. Uh, the just constantly going for it though is just like at some point like does does taking the points to go up four in the third quarter help when they're up 14 13? Uh, Kansas City just kicked a field goal to open the half. Do you match that field goal? So now they have to kick more instead of, uh, you know, they went for it, going for it on four. The Chiefs went for it on fourth and one from LA's two yard line, and the Chargers stopped them. You know, things shake out, whatever. But like, is there a point? Do you wish you wish you had those points back? I, I like being aggressive. I like being aggressive. I'm with just, you in the thought process, and then I look at all the ones they went for. I guess the one I would probably question the most is the opening drive just because it's from the five yard line. But then you go back and look and on the very scary play. Yeah. On the very scary Donald Parham play, he was wide open. And then fourth and one, like I'd go for almost any fourth and goal from the one. And then you get to the one you were just talking about in the third quarter. And it would have been a 45 yard field goal attempt for Dustin Hopkins. So I'm like, I never really get to the point where I'm confident that not going for it was the right decision, even though that's the whole conversation we're having here. Yeah. And then you get picky and choosy because they they did go two for five. They made 40% of them. And I know at least one of their fourth down conversions turned into that touchdown in the second quarter. So, you know, it's, it's easy to say like pick and choose revisionist history, whatever, but that level of aggressiveness, I am not, like, I don't know, at, at some point, maybe think about taking points on one of those. And maybe, now, you know, if you take points on one of the ones you made for, then it doesn't, you know, whatever. Then those points don't come off the board. It's you're getting into your own head and you got to just go by gut feel at some point. Yeah. And the other thing about analytics, and this is by no means my original take saying this, but if we're going to bash coaches when it doesn't succeed on fourth down, we've got to also be saying they shouldn't have gone for it when it does work out in their favor. Cause that's not, that's, that's what I'm saying. You can't like, you can't question it when it, when it all goes wrong. But then when the Colts go three for three on fourth and one against the Pats and that noticeably helps them win that game. Or when that same chargers team beats that same chiefs team in week three, because Brandon Staley was uber aggressive on the fourth down. I want those or, same people. The Ravens won against the Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Ravens won against the chiefs too. Technically, uh, that I just wrote about this uh, play, uh, that first Chargers uh, Chiefs game, that fourth and nine, the analytics said kick it. <laughs> but <laughs> that's where you go with human gut because it's Pat Mahomes having to go 40 yards for a Harrison Butker home field goal. Mm-hmm. That's where 
Staley and it's a Chargers like kicker. Yeah. <laughs> so the analytics are not factoring interest he'd in already this guy, you know. He'd already missed an extra point that game. Uh, the and it's fourth and nine too, and that play wasn't successful either. No. If, he, if it Penalty. doesn't get it, if it doesn't get a DPI call, that, that that fourth down attempt technically is a no play in the in the book, but it's the thing that put Staley on the map as this analytics guru. So, yeah, you know. But I just I want to hear all these analytics denouncers speak equally loud when it works. I, I want them to still be putting their neck out and saying they shouldn't have gone for it. They shouldn't have let Lamar run it on fourth and one against the chiefs in week two. That's, that's all I request. Like that, that, let's keep that in the conversation. No, that being said, if we're still talking, you know, bashing slash defending analytics positions, I love the decision by John Harbaugh with Tyler Huntley in a quarterback to go for two at the end of the game, because you don't want to take Aaron Rodgers to overtime with the backup quarterback, Baltimore, like the momentum, Baltimore had to claw back from 31-17. But the, you know, if you've got a position to win there, that's like that's what the players respect. It's the same thing where Lamar, Lamar said, like, hell yeah, when Harbaugh asked him during the Chiefs game, do you want to go for it? Now Harbaugh said he had already made the decision to go for it, but it's you know, motivating players, putting the trust in that team, uh, to give them the confidence and validation that they're a coach is trusting you to go for it. And I think the same thing applies to Tyler Huntley and the two point conversion against green Bay. Cause instead of forcing it to go to regular, like to force it to go to overtime where Rogers has historically had comeback victories and overtime wins left and right. You know, it's practically his MO at this point, take the win now, like be aggressive and try and go for it. Now it's all or nothing. Regardless, you probably, you know, like the Chargers Chiefs game, there's a chance you just don't touch the ball in overtime and the game's over before you know it. Here's so why take- I struggled so much with this one, though, is because if they make it and they go up 32 31, there's still 42 seconds left on the clock and the Packers have one timeout and they still only need a field goal for the win. Whereas if they kick the extra point, same situation. So this is where, like, and then, you know, it's overtime versus the win outright. So that was the only thing where if it was with zero seconds left, I would have been exactly on the same train as you. But this whole 42 seconds left on the clock thing, I can't tell if that should influence my opinion on whether or not it was a good field decision. Goals, field goals aren't guaranteed, though. You know what I mean? Like, field goal rates are down more than they have in recent years. Well, Mason Crosby's it. having a rough year, too, so I get yeah. that. No, it's force them to make it like force them. To, like you just tried to take the game into your own hands, force them to do the same thing, put the pressure on them balls in their court. Yeah. And the Packers, I mean, just to, to further support your argument, the Packers averaged 9.2 yards per play on first down in this game. The Ravens were lucky that they only scored 31 points to begin with. So as much as we might want to say, you know, trust your defense to get you to overtime or, trust your defense in overtime to get you the ball back for Tyler Huntley, who was having, you know, a hot backstretch. I it's Aaron Rodgers, man, the game he was having. I just don't, I don't support putting the ball back in that guy's hands if it's avoidable. So I think I, you know, this is where I end up tending to agree, but I don't know. That was, that was a tough one. They also went for a fourth and goal from the four earlier in the game with Tyler Huntley. That one was a tough one for me, but I still think that, 
there haven't been any moments where I've outright been, okay, the analytics are getting too aggressive. And I think that's where maybe we're differing from some of the, the talking heads that you see on the Fox NFL post game show in these games, just bemoaning the existence of fourth down play calling and analytics uh, across the league. No, it has its, it has its place. And I think it's going to make a better product. And I think it's actually, you know, the aggressiveness works and it's going to create these situations where worse teams went out. And I think that overall creates a better NFL product because we don't want to get to a place like the NBA where it's top teams win all the time. I, you know, it's at least happened in the last few years. I'm not going to make an NFL NBA debate, but I love the part. Like I'm, you know, we talk about it every week that we don't really have a sense of who is good, who is bad, but I love the parody. I love being able to just take week by week and say like, Oh, why did X, like team X beat team Y, even if team Y was so much better, you know, Detroit started that game with a 20.7% win probability heading in. If they lose that game four out of five times, if you play it on paper, but the reason we don't play it on paper is because of these like aggressive, these aggressive decision-making things. We don't know how things are going to shake out X, Y, you know, all these different things that we could talk about. And it's, it's why the game is fun. It's why, I love the strategy of football and I think aggressiveness is and analytics combined are only going to make it better. We'll see. Well, you're talking to a baseball guy here and this is what makes me love sports in general is the fact that any team can win. I mean, the phrase any given Sunday exists for a reason. And part of why I love baseball is because on any random Tuesday night in August, you know, Sean Markham can go eight innings and give up one hit against the 2007 Red Sox. Like these are, these are situations where at any given time, unlikely heroes can step up. And that's what I love about it. Absolutely. Speaking of any given Sunday, my any given Sunday on uh, Lions to Cardinals just went yes. live. So <laughs> shameless plug for me. You can check that out on Football Outsiders. This is a, a man that's about to be featured on ESPN Plus as a Football Outsiders columnist. Kale, if you're going to plug yourself, plug that, please. Oh, yeah. That's... uh. You know, my my cohort, my colleague, J.P. Acosta, master's student over at Northwestern, uh, also a contributor of Big Cat Country. Uh, him and I wrote up a, uh, an article on the best uh, high value or the most valuable veteran contracts for each NFL team. So uh, if you got ESPN Plus, maybe you got that. Maybe you got that Disney Plus Hulu ESPN Plus trio <laughs> package. Uh, go check it out. That'll drop uh, December 23rd, I think. It's not too late to ask for mom and dad to shill out a couple ESPN plus dollars as a Christmas present either. Fun tip for all the kids out there. Not an ad could be an ad, but that triple, uh, that triple package is like 15 bucks a month. It's a pretty good deal. <laughs> not a sponsor. We don't have sponsors yet, but that might be a good plug for us. Like get us some sponsors right there. You know how you <laughs> do that? You subscribe, you rate, you leave a review, you boost Please. all the numbers up, help us help you. We saw up. we saw a stat this week, guys, that said that 50% of podcasts don't make it to 15 episodes. And we're sitting here recording episode 15. So by definition, we're now in the upper echelon, the top half of podcasters. And we decided that this week we want to be a little bit better at our job and ask that maybe if you like this program, which it appears some of you do, maybe subscribe, maybe leave a rating maybe do all that good stuff so we can maybe make this into a career someday. Who knows? It helps us out. It pushes us up. It, it, you know, it pushes us to more people. It only, uh, it only makes the product better too. So, yeah. You know. And you know what? This product is just gaining all sorts of steam. And 
with that, I want to just shift back to talking about football before I feel too gross about all that stuff. <laughs> um, um, so we talked about a little bit of the analytics stuff with the fourth down decision-making, but diving deeper into that Chargers-Chiefs game, oof, are the Chiefs all the way back? Like, I'm, I'm about 90% there, Kale. How far back are you on the Chiefs being scary? This is the first – this is, like, genuinely ge- – and I say this in full earnest – this is genuinely the first game that I just can't write off with one reason or another why like, oh, you know, the Chiefs played Dak without his top two weapons or, uh, you know, the Chiefs offense still isn't back because, uh, you know, the X, Y, like, you know, they've scored, they, their defense is helping them score. They're still in these low scoring yeah. affairs. They didn't play the Raiders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they haven't, like, they haven't had a genuine, this is their first genuine 30-point non-Raiders game. <laughs> since their their win over Washington. And yeah, this team looks I don't think they're back to, you know, where they were like Thanos level where they felt just totally untouchable. Uh but I mean, yeah, Travis Kelsey, 10 receptions, 100, 191 yards, two touchdowns. Tyreek Hill had another 148 touch like everyone's back in the fold. Uh the backyardigans as NFL oh. YouTube likes to call them, uh, <laughs> they're they're back, I guess. I don't know. Stop trying to make backyard again a thing. It's not it's a not thing. Not a thing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it'll be interesting to see how they fare down the stretch because it's Steelers at Bengals, Broncos. I'm curious about that Bengals game because that offense could look really. Uh, it'll be a nice, you know, shootout. Hopefully, the Steelers are so weird to me. The Steelers could just like make things hard for Pat Mahomes, and you know the Broncos. I just I found this out that uh, Jackson let me know that Patrick Mahomes is eight zero against the Broncos, and the second I learn of any streak, eight times out of ten it dies. So, <laughs> congrats to the Broncos for winning in Week eighteen. Yeah, we just hope it's not because they already have the top seed locked up and Mahomes completes the cycle of Broncos dominance by sitting out the way that Alex Smith sat out in Week seventeen, allowing Pat Mahomes to begin his great NFL career as a starter. So. I don't know. I you said you saw a path to zero and three in that schedule. I I'm not seeing that path at all. I mean, I can more easily see the path to three and zero, uh, especially with the I mean, the Chiefs' defense, Melvin Ingram revenge game against Big Ben. I I don't like that matchup one bit. If I'm the Steelers, it's just I mean, I watched that Tennessee Titans game, and and mind you, the Tennessee Titans offense without. AJ Brown, Julio Jones, and Derrick Henry is not the current Chiefs offense. That being said, you know, Chiefs defense looked or the uh the Steelers defense looked really good. If Big Ben's doing just enough to let his team get by, you know, maybe things shake out. I always thought that the Steelers were going to let up like have some weird let up game, but also just because Ben Roethlisberger's, you know, imminently retiring or imminently leaving the Steelers, uh I figured he has he had one wonky win left, but you know, might have used up all those chips. Might have, but <laughs> I still think I th- still think Bengals can win the shootout. I don't think the Chiefs secondary is all that good. Uh, you know, Justin Herbert still had a phenomenal night, uh, and Broncos. You know, until I figured out they were eight. No, I thought the Broncos' rushing attack, coupled with their really stout secondary, was enough to maybe stymie the Chiefs, but then 
Yeah. I, I don't know not. who's going to be playing. I mean, I don't see Drew Locke beating Pat Mahomes in a shootout either. So it depends. But that's, that's why Drew Locke is like this weird, desirable product because the whole thing is like Teddy was supposed to be, you know, moderate, eat like easy, helping, helping, you know, middleman, like middleman Teddy uh, was just supposed to be pretty average. And the whole, the whole benefit of Drew Locke is you're going to get some bad games. You're going to get some really bad games in there. But you're also going to get these games where Drew Losh just kind of freaks out and just throws for 350 yards and dances to me okay by Jeezy on the sidelines. <laughs> what a great dancer he is. Just a true marvel of modern art. So I, if he was better I guess, at quarterback, he'd be fun. Well, Drew Lock tangent aside, I think the last thing of the A block per se that we have to cover is that Colts-Pats game that happened Saturday night. Maybe we don't want to do that as folks who watched that game and were disappointed by the outcome, but I, I don't think that game tells us all that much about the Pats. Like they, the point is that they gave up 10 points on special teams and just couldn't crawl out of the hole. I don't think the point was that Mac performed poorly as a rookie QB or like was exposed. You know, he had, he had his ups and downs in that game. He made some really good throws down the stretch and we could talk about Bill Belichick's fourth down decision-making as well. But at the end of the day, I think they just dug themselves too big a hole and that's going to happen sometimes, you know, the Colts coming off a bye, needing the win more playing at home. You know, I think it's no loss is a good loss and it certainly puts the Pats behind the eight ball and the AFC in terms of trying to get the one seed. And now that game with Buffalo basically means the division as well next week. But I think from a structural standpoint, I don't, that game didn't make me feel like the Patriots don't have a shot in this thing anymore or anything to that effect. I agree to some extent. Some of those Mac Jones picks looked pretty bad. Like one of those, you know, the, the, the interceptions weren't great. Uh, the, especially the one leading right out before half. I didn't Yeah. Love. The Darius Leonard one was bad and he read yeah. his eyes and he just didn't see Leonard. Like that's, that can't happen. I think we yeah. agree on that. No, but I, but also, you know, a blocked a touchdown leading into a block punt touchdown. You know, if you, if a team jumps out to a 17, nothing lead. And at some point it's just like, it's a, a, yeah. At some point that's too much. If, if the Pats don't wake up to the second half, uh, if the Pats, if the Pats even wake up in like the third quarter, this is, or this is better. If, if he doesn't throw that second half interception, get the turnover on downs, like this is a better outcome for them. Obviously. Yeah. And you I, knew I, you knew the Wentz pick was coming at some point too. You just felt like if they had woken up a tad bit earlier, the Wentz pick would have been the spark that ignited the full comeback. And I mean, the we could talk. I mean, fourth and seven. If Belichick goes for it and they get it, then all of a sudden that drive coming down the stretch is to take the lead, and maybe they defend the Jonathan Taylor play differently. Fourth and sevens are hard to get, but I think from a pure win probability standpoint, they probably should have gone for that. But it's too it's too late to question it, honestly, when you're already down 13 with that much time left in the game. So little little disappointment, but also, you know, some some glimmers of hope thrown in there with some of the throws Mac made down the stretch, I think. Well, like we said, I mean, Colts got three for three on fourth down. Like we've we've talked about it already. This is, you know. Sometimes the analytics shake out in your favor. It was like Brandon Staley making seven of eight uh, of his first fourth down attempts. Like sometimes it shakes out that way. That being said, uh, I 
I'm pretty high on not as a championship team, but I'm pretty high on the Colts as a frisky wild card team, especially if they can find a way to pull ahead of Tennessee to win this division. It's uh, it's going to get dicey real quick. Yeah. They're probably going to need Tennessee to lose two of their last three. Not probably. I mean, that's the Colts would have to go three and O and then Tennessee would have to lose two of their final three and Tennessee closes with, San Francisco, Miami, Houston. So they've got to find two losses in there somewhere. But I think the the archetype I see for this Colts team is kind of the Tennessee team from a couple of years ago where they win a couple of playoff games on the strength of ground and pound, forcing the opposing team's quarterback into some mistakes and minimizing the amount of dynamic plays they need from one Carson Wentz but I could absolutely see them similarly making some sort of surprise AFC not even surprise but an AFC championship game run seems very possible for this team because like we've said every every AFC team is very vulnerable especially the division winners uh you know Kansas City if they're back they're back but even then you know a good a good defense is going to be able to take away one of their best weapons, and it's going they're going to force either Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey to make all their plays. Uh, you know, New England has just been proven vulnerable for sure. You can you can absolutely get Mac Jones's head. Uh, you know, Tennessee, Tennessee just lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers and scored thirteen points. The fact that like it, it is very funny that Deontay Foreman is apparently getting. Uh, this is from Ben Baldwin. But Deontay Foreman as a rusher uh, relative to his team's grade is generating just as much EPA per play as Derrick Henry was, which is running backs. Do they matter? (laughs) Uh, But, you know, this Tennessee team, this Tennessee offense can't get anything going without A.J. Brown and uh, Julio Jones. I mean, Julio Jones has kind of been a non-factor this year, basically, but if Nick Westbrook-Akina is your top wide receiver, he's a he's a great value. Preview of the article, but <laughs> he, you know, he's not a he's not a number one guy. He's a great UDFA that they've gotten something out of, but he's a great third receiver as a UDFA. He's not a great team leader as a UDFA. I think it's to the point where whoever plays the Titans in the playoffs is salivating over that matchup, and the Titans could in a conceivable world still, if they lose two of those final three, miss out on the playoffs. It's like it's dropped off that precipitously for this team since Henry went out. And they had those two wins uh, against LA and New Orleans where everyone was like, see, Tennessee's okay without Henry. And I think we were some of the early adopters of the take that no, things don't really look okay. And it's only gone downhill minute by minute ever since from what I've been watching. Well, at least then they had AJ Brown. Like, and that had someone to do. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing at all right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, larger AFC picture aside, I think, you know, it's time for us to hand out some awards for the week, Kale. I, I, I think from a game ball perspective, there was maybe one name that we expected to see here at some point during the season. One name, maybe we didn't. Now I'm going to let you do the honors. Who are you giving your offensive game ball to for the week? Guys, I don't want to just keep talking about the Lions. That being said, this is by far Jared Goff's best performance in a Detroit Lions uniform. 
And if you're going to beat the Arizona Cardinals, who were at one point the best, had the best record in the NFL. I almost said the best team. I don't think they were ever the best team in the NFL. Uh, at one point, had the best record in the NFL. You got to give him credit. This is his best EPA per play performance in a Lions uniform. Like I said, this is their best passing DVOA performance in a Lions uniform. Uh, it's the second time I think he's thrown three touchdowns in Detroit. Uh, and this, he really just took everything they gave him, didn't ask questions, and got the job done. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown has burst onto the scene. And this is without their top guy in TJ Hawkinson, like we said. I don't need to keep harping on this because we've already really dissected it because we spent the first 10 minutes of our show talking about the Detroit Lions for another ungodly reason. And gladly so. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, also a, a small hat tip to Craig Reynolds. Uh, without having Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift in the fold, Craig Reynolds has put together now two very solid games. 11 attempts for 83 yards against the, Den- uh, the Denver Broncos. And 26 attempts for 112 yards against the Arizona Cardinals. He's kind of just been a very consistent replacement. Uh, to, uh, you know, a nice third stringer. It's his first season. I think he's I think he's an undrafted free agent. Uh, they don't have his draft status on ESPN, so I'm kind of making a guess here. But this is just a it was a great all all around offensive performance by Detroit. If someone's gonna get the ball, it's gonna be the guy that got cast out of LA the only state he's ever lived in at any point in his life between growing up between UCLA between the LA Rams oh Cal buddy Marin Catholic and then Cal let's 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 give the NorCal boy credit where it's due he's he's a Bay Area through and through he got he never left the state and got just unceremoniously (laughs) jettisoned (laughs) tossed into Motown into Detroit (laughs) So Motor City, uh, you know, where dreams yeah. are made. <laughs> I'm glad he got one. I'm glad yeah, he got one. He needed it. And shout out to Craig Reynolds, by the way, um, getting signed to the 53 man roster after this game as well. So not only an undrafted free agent, but was fully on the practice squad uh, and just getting called up for these games due to injury and now has earned his place, earned a, a tenured contract as a member of the Troy Lions. Shout out there. That's um, all. I'm, I'm going to spend a very small amount of time on my offensive game ball because we pretty much already talked about it. But, I mean, come on, Travis Kelsey, 10 catches for 191, two touchdowns, including the game winner in overtime on a play where he just ran through the entire L.A. secondary. He had a long play where he went 69 yards and then got tackled at the one, which I felt like was a conscious decision that I'm happy with. Uh, so just a great day for a guy that we were starting to wonder if he had lost a step and maybe he has, but this was the vintage Kelsey performance that I think every chiefs fan was hoping was still in there. And he fully delivered. Yeah. There were points where I kind of thought he was not dead in the water, but that he had fallen off in such a way that I did not know whether he could come back from it or not. So this is and by the way, that that game winning touchdown could have maybe been a 15 yard completion if there was any tackling involved. Like <laughs> that was crazy the way he just plowed through six LA defenders. <laughs> Chargers don't like to tackle, man. They don't like to tackle running backs and they don't like to tackle 
bowling ball tight ends. It's become, aside from Brandon Staley's fourth down aggression, it's become one of the unfortunate hallmarks of this 2021 Chargers team. Let's do defense now. We had some teams really put together dominant performances on the defensive side of the ball, and none more so, I think, than the Saints in a game that we somehow haven't touched on yet to this point, but let's give them their full due. Uh, and Kale, of those New Orleans Saints defenders, who stood out to you in terms of earning a game ball for the week? He's kind of in the face of at least the Saints front seven, but I mean, Cam Jordan had a fantastic game. I wish I had his pressures and hurries numbers. Cam Jordan ended up walking away with five tackles, all of them solo, doubled up for an additional two sacks on Brady, and then ended up having a forced fumble on one of them as well. Just a real, real great showing by Cam Jordan. Just the whole, whole Saints defense. I don't understand how the Saints, in at least in the regular season, have just had Tom Brady's number since coming to Tampa Bay. But this is now the first time that Tom Brady's gone, been held scoreless since, what, 2006, I think? Just, December 10th, 2006. Where? Of course, Miami. The House just, of Horrors. Just an absolute blanking on Brady's part. I, I, I can't make any sense of it. And it wasn't like, you know, Taysom Hill had a, had a massive performance, 13, 27, 150 yards, nothing either way. That sounds like a bad performance, Caleb. Yeah, 3.3 <laughs> yards per carry on 11 touches. Like, this wasn't, a, you know, a remarkable game by him by any stretch of the mean, but I mean... This is a bad offensive game. Marcus Callaway kind of balled out. Uh, beyond that, it was this is, I mean, this was all Saints defense all day. Uh, real tough to see Chris Godwin go down. That's I think that's going to hurt in the long run for Tampa Bay. Uh, Mike Evans in the short term is down as well. Now it's <laughs> they're basically stuck with Gronk and AB to work with. Uh, let's see how they finish down the stretch. But I, in the meantime, the Saints are Saints are hanging on there. The Saints are no, like that was right in the a thing. must win, and I I did not factor it in like enough. Like we've all the only narrative going into that game was the Saints defense weirdly owns Tom Brady and has shut him down very effectively. I would say in all four of their meetings, even though the Bucks won that playoff game last year, and yet I still just didn't see this one coming. Now it's five. Yes, we're like the the Saints have just clearly mastered the guy. And the, the visible frustration is starting to show. And I know we're not giving the game ball to CJ Gardner-Johnson, but we need to give some sort of lifetime achievement award to CD Deuce for his uncanny ability to agitate on the football field. Like it's just become, and at one point he just mean mugged in Brady's face so hard after that pick that Brady just kind of had to start laughing at it. Cause it was like, this dude is just so far under my skin and he's been, just everywhere in terms of making people salty on a football field for the past two years. My defensive game ball is also going to go to a team that completely shut down an offense. And whereas it wasn't a shutout in this game, the Steelers really needed to win by themselves. And I know that we talked about the saints not getting great performance out of Taysom Hill. The Steelers really didn't get much out of their quarterback either. A uh, little guy you might know named Ben Roethlisberger went 16 to 25 for only 148 yards and a cool 12.5 QBR. But and and then Najee Harris gets 12 carries for 18 yards, one and a half per carry. Somehow they still win this game, 
And I'm going to give the game ball of the bunch to Minka Fitzpatrick because Minka leads the team in tackles, including 12 solo tackles, and really just kind of kept Ryan Tannehill from doing anything deep down the field. Tannehill ends up 32 passing attempts for 153 yards. Just not, no completion longer than 18. Uh, you know, just really kept the Titans at bay the entire time. And, and it's just a holistic team effort. They made the Titans fumble three times. Joe Hayden had an awesome game recovering that one fumble and then stoning Westbrook Akine right at the first down mark to end it. And I don't know, it's just, it's kind of fun to watch a team play with no offensive contribution and still get the job done. And that's what I felt like the Steelers really fell through on this week at a time they needed it. You know, the Steelers, I don't think either of us think of them as contenders, but in this last ride with big Ben season, it all hinged on whether or not they could win with this game and by hook or by crook, they pulled through. So I think it it's only natural that we had to find someone on that defense to single out. I'm so excited to watch. I'm sorry. I'm so excited to watch the Steelers team with someone else at quarterback. <laughs> like they've got, they've got so many pieces. I'd like to see this line a year older. I'd, you know, all of their skill position players that are of value come on the, come on their rookie deals. Their defense outside of Menka is all paid out between TJ Watt, Cameron Hayward, Stefan Tuitt, uh, Joe Hayden, Joe Schobert. Uh, they've basically got the brunt of it built, and all they got to do is pay Menka now. But, like, all the pieces are in place for this to be a really, really good team, and they just have Ben Roethlisberger asleep at the wheel, barely able to throw a ball 10 yards, and it's pretty gross, and I'm waiting for him to retire. Uh, maybe they get the guy from Pitt. Uh, whose name escapes me. Uh, apparently, he falls right in their range. But Pittsburgh's going to need a quarterback. And yeah. when they get it, it's they're going to be fun again. They're going to be relevant again. And then the AFC North is not going to be four teams constantly looking to lose. It's going to be uh, three teams with really young, exciting quarterbacks and a football team exclusively built around not needing a quarterback. Yeah, the... Only wow. uh, the only problem I see with that segment is that we forgot Kenny Pickett's name after he destroyed Syracuse at the Dome a matter of weeks ago. But hey, we weren't maybe, there for that. So maybe I happen. just blacked it out on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Kenny gets passed Go over for the Heisman. Orange. <laughs> um, <laughs> special teams pivoting now uh, was an interesting week. We were kind of going to do the flip flop here, where usually I'll talk about a kicker and Kale talks about. Uh, a special teams touchdown, but the Colts this week, we talked about it. You know, the special teams really kind of bit the Patriots uh, where it hurts. They had the punt block return touchdown. They also jumped off sides on a 46 yard field goal attempt that Michael Badgley missed. So not a good special teams week for the Pats. Good week for EJ speed though. Uh, scooping up his second punt block return touchdown of the season. Now, we don't have stats on punt block return touchdowns that go back past 1994. I don't know why that is, but since 1994, EJ speed is the only person who's returned two blocked punts for a touchdown in the season. So when you set a record official or unofficial to that nature, I feel like you got to get a defense or a special teams game ball. And you know what? Speed kills. EJ speed is such a sick name. Yeah. No, that's uh, like that whole and, and you talk about like Zaire Franklin is on that special teams unit as well. 
Like they're assembling a team of great special teamers with great special teamer names. Just the all names team. It's like yeah. uh, that Minnesota, uh, that Minnesota high school hockey tournament that has the all hair team. Uh, they just have special teams players made up of nothing but guys with sick names. Yeah. Rodrigo, if he ever gets back, and then their punter is Rigoberto. So just keep keep stacking them up. It's 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 what we you're, like to see. you're also you're you're hanging you're hanging Rodrigo Blankenship oh, out to me. dry. <laughs> Strong last name too. You, you yeah. know, give the full package here, Jack. <laughs> uh, now I came very close to uh, giving this one to Dalvin Tomlinson. Just I like you know big men can jump. Uh, love mm. seeing a D tackle block a field goal off of hops alone. But you know I do have to just hand this one to the Raiders kicker Daniel Carlson because. Not only did uh, Daniel Carlson get fully iced, like perfect ice, where he gets the kickoff, makes it, and then it comes in after the fact. No, wait, Kevin Stefanski called a timeout. Right as it went. Usually it's people make and then miss. And sometimes if you screw up the icing, they miss and then make. Daniel Carlson, ice in his veins, 48 yards for the win, twice in a row. So... It's it goes to show that when doubleheaders on Monday Night Football happen, it usually just comes down to fun special teams plays because there was not much of substance out of either of those games. Now I get that the perfect ice might be he makes it and then you realize it didn't count, but I always wonder why the coaches let them get those off. Like I think ideally you want him to like stand around and think about it for a little bit longer and then you know, you don't get to practice the kick. Cause I feel like the miss make scenario happens more often. No, or am I just reading too far into this? I don't think you're reading too far into this. I think icing before the kick gets off, you're still warm. Like you, like you didn't, maybe I have the logic wrong. I could be screwing this up as well. Where <laughs> the actual logic is like, you don't want them to get the kickoff. But my thoughts I always thought was, if you get one kickoff, you're warm, but now you have the pressure to make it twice. So that because it's a mental thing. Hmm. But if you don't get the if you don't get the kickoff, you just ice, and you're kind of just waiting around long. But then that's a mental thing because it's heady and it gets you in. I don't know. It's sick that he made it twice. Sue me. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> For 96 yards of field goals in a matter of moments. So hats both, off one both more time. Game winners. Yeah. Well done, Daniel Carlson. Keep the Raiders alive, which is a tough task at this point in the season. So, bravo. And why don't we do uniforms? Let's take a little break from the serious football talk and chat about some aesthetics. Uh, I think you should go first this week. Kel, what was, your, what was your uniform game for this week? This week, and I swear I watch more than one game, uh, I'm going Cardinals-Lions because – uh, Sunday morning, I had hosted a uh, my family had hosted a small family Christmas party at my place. Uh, I was very hungover. Uh, it interfered with my ability to actually truly appreciate watching Pat's Colts until the morning. Uh, <laughs> I woke up in pretty rough shape, and there was something just so appealing about staring at my TV and seeing red versus blue. I'm like, all right. Blue's the good guys, red's the bad guys. Oh and it just, just, but then the more I started to think about it, I was like, oh no, that was like actually a pretty good uniform game, in my opinion. Because if you watch it, like I don't mind those, I don't mind those Cardinals whites in the right setting, uh, with the red, you know, red shoulders, 
red jersey, especially uh, white helmets, white jersey, uh, I think white pants. Uh, but then especially juxtaposed just against like lion silver or lion's blue with silver helmets, the silver pants, the blue accents and stripes on the helmets and pants. There was something so like, like you couldn't like NFL movie where you can't get the rights <laughs> teams that you come up with just red versus blue. Oh That's God. what this game felt like. But in the what best... a ringing endorsement! No, wow. in the best way possible. <laughs> it's a positive, Jackson. Man, that was that felt like a, a game that should have had Josh McCown playing quarterback for both teams. When you looked at the uniforms, that was what image came to mind for me. And I don't even have to really go into it. I believe I had those teams ranked like. 26th and 30th out of the NFL uniform teams when I did my rankings last year. So, you know what? Difference of opinion happens in this game. Difference of opinion also happens in my uniform game. I really like the Bears stripey throwbacks. They're just kind of a, a hearkening back to 1910s baseball for me uh, with the blue socks and the orange stripes up and down them. I like the super stripy sleeves. I like kind of the Michigan style helmets. It just, it works for me as a change of pace when you see the same bears uniform most weeks. And I really liked the combo like blue and orange versus yellow purple. You know, that thing where if you stare at a color for a long time, and then you look at a white wall, you see the inverse of the color. Well, the inverse of blue is orange. And then the inverse of purple is yellow. So both of these teams just kind of going with each other's perfect opposites in the uniform. It just worked for me. Absolutely detestable choice. Cannot stand it. <laughs> uh, the colors absolutely like where I sort of look at. Uh, and the one time I tell you to get creative on uniforms, you go with pippy long stocking. <laughs> Where's Waldo ass looking uniform. I can't stand this pick. The bears uniforms are gross. I hate the stri- Like the stripes look so weird. It like it looks like 1940s baseball that should have stayed in 1940s. Uh, I like I, 1940s baseball, man. Yeah, I know you do. Particularly after do. 1947, let's let's make sure the color barrier has been broken at this point. But fair, 1940s fair. baseball generally a good thing in my eyes. The, but just like it's it, they look cartoonish, and just the amount of like you you saw like oh color theory. I saw color vomit. This is <laughs> just an absolute mess of a game for me to look at. Like the, no, I no, like no. Those, I like color those. vomit. I have I have a real color vomit game, and that uh, when we talked about this in the pre-show, I really wanted to spend most of my uniform segment talking about my anti-uniform game of the week, and honestly, the year it was. The Bills and Panthers in Buffalo when the Bills go all red and the Panthers come out with the white jerseys and black pants. Those, I I can't even tell you how much I hated that uniform game. Like that was 10 times worse than any reaction you could have had to this Vikings game. I turned red zone on and the minute they first showed that Buffalo game, I was like, get this away from me. That was the worst uniform game I've seen maybe ever. And I hated everything about it. So I just wanted to make sure that got mentioned this week. Yeah, that was even I, as the one that just said, I liked red versus blue because it made my brain <laughs> happy. Uh, that was bad. <laughs> that was bad red versus blue. That was so bad. Like the the bills, all reds generally don't work for me at all. But when Never. you put them up against that 
like they need a strong color to go against as well. Like the jets, all greens, or even if they go against the Steelers with the bright yellow pants, like it, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but the Panthers like just a mess of silver, white, black, and Carolina blue. Like there's there's just so much going on and no color sticks out. And when you put those two next to each other, it was just like one of the biggest eyesores of my entire life. So I'm glad we got to talk about that. It's it's a perfect case for the Panthers to finally redo their uniforms. They're god awful at this stage. That that teal, not teal, but Jaguars are teal. We're not getting into teal tones again. Uh, that Carolina blue, I guess it's that light blue that they have. It's so good, and they just have the most 2006 ass uniform to Ugh. go along with it. It's really really tough to look at. Like you know that should have died with jake alone it wasn't you know what's weird about it is in 2012 the panthers redesigned their logo to go from like the weird like 90s panther that was kind of two-dimensional to a three-dimensional panther that kind of took the same shape and that would have been the perfect time to redo the rest of the uniform too but they were like no we're changing the helmet logo to this 2012 logo and we're going to keep everything else the same as it's been since the early 2000s and i can't figure out why they did that I think we've talked about it before, uh, the Panthers logo change. I like the old one. I like the cartoony one. The Mm. new one looks like uh, the temple from Aladdin where he finds the genie. Uh, Okay. It does. Good to know. Noted. Let's let's go back to the old logo. (laughs) I can't know because the new one, like, the new one looks fiercer in a weird way. Like, the weird... like the weird depth that they've added with shadow i kind of like it looks almost more like like tribal's the wrong word but like it looks like a cave like it looks kind of like a panther's cave painting in a little bit and i like it it's got a little bit of like spunk and character to it i get you have to do something to update it but there's like a there's a more like artistic approach to it the panthers it does kind of look like that uh it looks like the painting of simba on the cave wall in the lion king it is kind of what that logo reminds me of no and the other one just straight up looks like the cave of wonders from Aladdin. that's all i can think of all right well great usage of our time once again devoting some some serious effort into panthers logos and this is what off-season content looks like, folks. Get ready. I'm really stoked about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is our our brains are going to have way too much more uh, creative flow to to work themselves into for these podcasts. So look out, world. Um, we I guess we should just do head scratchers now. I mean, we're we're this running is already up a head scratching conversation. Yeah, we're 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 just gonna keep speeding right through it. So I think. The way we've talked about this, and I think you need to go first and just let out some pent up frustration about NFL coaching. And I'm going to give you the floor and you can take that any direction you please. I will say before I get into this, uh, I did, I couldn't have it as my head scratcher two weeks in a row. But quick shout out to the Tennessee Titans who saw what the Raiders did against the Chiefs and thought, no, we can do this differently. And they all, <laughs> and they all gather on the same the uh, Steelers logo, and it's the same outcome. A little bit less dramatic, but the same outcome. Loss. Uh, no, but my real head scratcher is I don't get, and this is probably a larger conversation for something. I don't get how I don't get how coaches just continue to stick around 
longer than they need to because in between this show, the last show in this show, Urban Meyer is as is no longer the Jaguars head coach hmm. for a litany of reasons. Uh, I don't think the Josh Lambeau story had broken before had uh, we recorded. That was bad. Uh, Shad Khan def- coming to his defense was bad and saying, sadly, like, uh, this is the only person to have ever told me I'll retire a Jaguar. And that means a lot to me. Oh. That was really sad. The 12.50 a.m. Uh, cryptic, weird uh, press release was also really bad, where it was like, uh, Darren Bevel will, be, will succeed Urban Meyer. We could not, like, we did not see the, like, it was such a weird delivery on the whole thing. Uh, I did a whole week in quotes on the oral history of Urban Myers last week. You can check it out there. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because he spent a lot of time on it last week. Uh, but yeah, he stayed around much longer than he needed to. Uh, just the amount of poor decisions that he's made in his, in his 14 week tenure, 11 month tenure was bad enough. Matt Nagy's had a job for four years. I think at least he has not made, he, he, this is a coach of the year winner. And I guess that buys you more time because of whatever he did in that regard, but just some of the things that happened, him getting the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, just so many things he's done and said throughout the year. Like there's just, there's no reason that Matt, the decision-making around, Everything that's happened with Justin Fields. Uh, Matt Nagy said after the game that he finally took over play calling again for the Chicago Bears. And it's like, oh, you think they scored nine points? <laughs> yeah, he took over. We know play. it went poorly. <laughs> Just a really tough, tough showing in Chicago. I'm very excited for Justin, like, just his usage. Just like Justin Fields is the only quarterback per NFL next gen stats uh, to hit over 20 miles an hour on a given quarterback run. Maybe you should use the run game more and, and like use his mobility as, as like part of your offense. Uh, Here's a thought, you know, like just the absolute mishandling and, you know, Al Robinson's look bad this year, but he doesn't look as bad if you don't completely just mishandle what was at one point a fringe top 10 top 15 receiver is now unrecognizable in the grand scheme of things uh and last but not least this is a segue into jackson uh i don't get how joe judge has a job uh just period point blank at all uh he actually echoed former uh great new york head coach adam gase in a press conference last week when asked about the improvement of the giants and how he has a uh, 10 and 26 record as head coach. Uh, Judge basically said he sees all his improvement in intangibles and off-field matters, where it's the way that they uh, carry themselves or treat people within the building or uh, show things at practice. You know who said that we're showing improvement in practice? Adam Gase. Hmm. You know who didn't improve on the field? The New York Jets. There's a, I mean, it, like Jackson and I were just talking that the lead story on ESPN today is a feature about uh, the New York 
just New York football in general. And it's how called it's- Inside the Dysfunctional Decade of New York Jets and Giants Football, What Went Wrong, What's Next? And it's about 4,000 words. And we were just talking about how we're stoked to dive into it once we stop recording. The sub the sub headline is How the New York Jets and Giants Became NFL Doormats. Oof. And that's like the only way to describe it. The Giants beat the 18-0 Patriots in 2007. And then again, 2011. How did this team fall to this low? And Dave get like Dave, how does Dave Gettleman have a job? How does and, and we won't get into GMs and we won't get into how the Maras run their team, but like Joe Judge has not shown any reason to continue to be the coach of the New York Jets. And I know the reports that John Mara thinks he's found is Bill Belichick or Bill Bill Parcells. What in the concerning? In the last, <laughs> what in the last two years has shown you that? <laughs> very very concerning. I do want to just pick that up because my head scratcher of the week (laughs) my head scratcher of the week is the new york giants just holistically all-encompassing head scratcher and i'd like to start this off with a tuesday morning reading uh it's from the giants uh in an email to their fans and it says dear jeremy in this case or whomever your name might be as part of fan appreciation day Pepsi is excited to provide all giant season ticket members with a free medium-sized fountain drink at this Sunday's game. To redeem this offer, simply show the barcode below to any MetLife Stadium vendor to be scanned when making your Pepsi product beverage purchase. Wow, that is riveting stuff right there. That's how you keep a fan base loyal. A couple free Pepsi bubbles, not even springing for a large, just uh, hitting them up with the medium. And then as it turns out, there was an update to the story where it was worth one medium soda per ticket, not per, uh, not worth one per ticket, but it was worth one per season ticket account. So if you own four giant season tickets, you still just get one medium free soda at fan appreciation day. But then how did the Giants celebrate fan appreciation day? Well, they trot out Mike Glennon at quarterback. This is a guy who has been in the NFL for quite some time now. And since his rookie tenure with the Bucks, he's been seven years in it and only won one game as a starter. And in the process, gotten paid $30 million, just a stunning amount of money for a completely incompetent quarterback. In this game, he goes 13 to 24. 99 yards and three interceptions before being replaced by Jake Fromm. Hey, Joe Judge, maybe give Jake Fromm a look at the start of the game instead of allowing Mike Glennon to continue unleashing his terrible football on all of us and creating a Sunday eyesore. Um, But it doesn't stop there because we've talked about, actually, we haven't talked about this on the podcast, I don't believe, but One of my favorite stats that's accumulated throughout the NFL season is that the Giants aren't actually that bad in terms of point differential this year, except for the final two minutes of the first half, at which point they become the worst team in the history of the NFL. So coming into this week, in the final two minutes of first halves, the Giants were, they had allowed 59 points to their opponents and scored zero. Historically, incredible stat to me so what happens this week in the final two minutes of the first half the cowboys are driving down they settle for a field goal with a minute and 45 left so you're thinking ah 
the stat continues to accumulate, but at least they didn't give up a touchdown and maybe the Giants will go down and get a field goal and stop this madness from continuing to be a shutout. But unfortunately, Saquon Barkley fumbles for the first time in his entire NFL career on that very next drive. Over 700 touches. It's his first career fumble. The Cowboys get the ball back and they kick another field goal. So the score is now 65 to zero Giants opponents in the final two minutes of first halves. So that's just a perfect place to leave it off. Giants fan appreciation week celebrated in the worst possible way you could imagine. I didn't know that was his first fumble. (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, like growing up a New Yorker, uh, growing up a displaced Boston fan, New York, and having uh, Giants friends and, you know, watching the Giants on, you know, being subjected to it uh, just through the local cable scheduling. Uh, it's bad products. It hasn't been good products. And it's it's crazy to think this all boils down basically to the, like, everyone makes a meme out of the boat picture but literally that's when it started like that's when all this dysfunction started and new york media is bad too and not just with the giants but the jets as well like i mean like manish meta for the new york daily news is a totally different story who is basically like faking sources and agitating things he's a nightmare but like the fact that new york media made such a big deal about odell beckham like hitting a kicking net and uh you know when tom brady's throwing ipads left and right and if tom brady did anything like that or like if odell did anything like that new york media would be down his throat like there's so many things that like the culture of nfl football in new york is really bad uh not new york because buffalo is doing great and buffalo media is good and, and they're the, the only team great. actually in new york <laughs> that is true new york city i should specify then it, the at least the closest area to east rutherford East Rutherford, New Jersey, uh, <laughs> next to the dump. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's sad. It's sad. It's I mean, it's so cheesy whenever some college football writer says like the product's always better when Texas is good or when USC is good or when Notre Dame is good. I legitimately think the NFL product is better when New York football is good. And and like I said, we're not like we're talking about the Giants here. But, like, how fun is NFC East when all four teams are able to battle it out? Like, at least, like, Washington is holding up their end of the bargain to a degree down the stretch, and Philly's keeping it interesting. I almost said frisky. I can't say frisky anymore. (laughs) If you set your frisky quarter for the year. (laughs) The the New York Giants have nothing to offer in that end of the equation. Uh, And they're not even bad enough to, like – really hone in on one of the last picks where they can get a really good product and you know maybe if they ended up with a top five pick last year they get in the trevor lawrence conversation or the trey lance mac jones mac jones feels like a new york giant to me i don't know why uh but it's they're like they're just they're in the worst position in football they're in the bottom third but not basement it's it's the absolute like dearth of enjoyment for football fans because you don't have enough tank worthy suckiness to actually get something good out of it. And then you just end up in the same position where you're drafting just whoever. And it like the cycle repeats. 
and boy, have they drafted poorly as well. And not just with, you know, we can talk about the, the ethos between taking a running back number two overall uh, or, you know, surrounding Daniel Jones with very little his first few years in the league after drafting him in the top 10. But my goodness, a running back, a running a back two overall <laughs> in one of the most highly co- of at the time, one of the more highly coveted quarterback drafts. Ugh. When you like the whole product of like you literally just saw the blueprint laid out before you the year prior with what Kansas City did with Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith. Imagine someone sitting behind Eli for a year. I understand Eli is a competitive guy and he didn't really get along with Daniel Jones as is, but imagine just benching, benching whatever guy you draft and just let it ride and just let him, let him get taught for a little bit, no matter how bad you are. Maybe you're bad enough to get another draft pick because Eli doesn't have weapons to do whatever. He didn't really like, what is a running back giving off like Eli Manning? I'm so, I'm so tired of talking about the Giants. Yeah, <laughs> I think we need to put a lid on that's, it. That's that's all we have time for this week, is that ladies the, and gentlemen. Also, uh, is that the only time we've talked about the Giants all year? Aside from the sage cleansing and uh, random game ball for Daniel Jones, yes. And that's, sure. you know, half of why I wanted to do it was just make their team an all-encompassing head scratcher for the week because they have earned it and... I want that to be the last time we talk about them until they prove to us that they can feel the competent football team. Uh, Yeah. I'm just, I'm really glad that we will not have to be subjected to this team any longer because they're not relevant. And we were only going to talk about like relevant, good teams from here on out, unless there's upsets. Mm. I'm saying that as we keep talking about the Dan Campbell, So. But they've, well, they've become a part of our show and a part of our family. Yeah. So it's okay. No, Dan Dan Campbell is already on the, you know, the Mount Rushmore of TMB. Like, if we, if we put the heads up there, I don't even know who the other three are, but he's one of them. So, Absolutely. yeah. He's, he's George there. Washington. He's the biggest. Yeah, one. he's the centerpiece. Um, we're not going to do a full preview of these two Tuesday games that have yet to come that you, of course, will have seen the results of by the time this podcast is edited and released to the public. But needless to say, while editing this podcast, my eyes will be glued to the television, uh, probably a little back and forth action, two screens, uh, checking out the results of these Tuesday games. Kayla, I assume you'll do the same. Do you have anything to add about the week that was and the week that still is to come in the NFL? I'm very curious to see how Seattle plays. Just out of morbid curiosity. They've won two straight games, uh, and those games came against a very uh, surging San Francisco 49ers team and a very not surging Houston Texans team. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering where this balance shakes out because I'm, last game was 26-17 in favor of L.A. Uh, things have happened in L.A. since. They're not as high-flying as they once were. But, uh, you know, they're now – even if the, you know, they'll have a, if LA wins this game, they'll be tied with Arizona for the top of the NFC West, probably one of the more contentious divisions going right now. So it'd be really interesting to see who wins that game. Uh, Washington, Philly, uh, even if he's injured, I'm just happy I get to watch Jalen uh, Hurts play. It does stink. Uh, I think Emmanuel Acho had a piece about this, uh, did a small segment about how badly this rescheduling screws over the, uh, Eagles because not like now they play a Tuesday game and then play Saturday. So 
Miserable. Got, yeah, not fun. While trying to chase down fun. a playoff spot, just uh, it's it's the whole. I mean, Roger Goodell has been the dog in the meme with the the room burning all around him all along with the COVID stuff. Just this is fine. Well, we'll give the Eagles a manufactured Thursday night football short week out of nowhere. But at this point, we've all sold our souls and we're just living in that world and continuing to support the product because big guys hit each other, make me happy. That sort of situation. (laughs) Best way you could put it. (laughs) Um, Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, It's been a pleasure for us to continue to bring this out for you week after week, 15 weeks in, still going strong, even over Zoom. Kale, appreciate your time this week. Looking forward to chatting with you next week, buddy. Anything else to plug? I mean, you've been been a plug machine so far today. I I, I just want to make sure we didn't leave anything out. Honestly, I'm just going to reiterate. Just subscribe, rate, review. I, I think it, you know, just drop a little. Maybe, maybe we'll do a thing at some point where we'll integrate reviews or things people leave into the reviews into the show. Uh, uniform debates, hot takes, something, something along those lines. It'd be nice to get the listeners involved. I don't know. Do it. I, I love that idea. I'll continue to put some of these Spotify Q and A's and polls in there. Maybe we'll start getting some responses for that as well, but we appreciate any and all interaction and hope to continue to build that bridge with our listenership. But for now he's Kale and I'm Jackson. We'll see you next Tuesday. Oh,